Hey, this is a special announcement about a film called Stone Locals. It just premiered on August 27th. And if you're thinking to yourself, hey, that sounds like a climbing film, you wouldn't be wrong, but... Okay, you know how this podcast is kind of not really a climbing podcast? This film is sort of like that. It's a film about the soul of rock climbing, and it's told through the lens of five interwoven stories. And I bet you're asking yourself, what does the soul of rock climbing even look like? As climbing continues to grow, the people who anchor its core and community have more responsibility than ever before. In this new film, Patagonia gracefully tells the story of five of these anchors. I don't want to tell you too much, but I, your podcast host, am one of these five stories told. You know how we're always talking about vulnerability? Well, you can't preach what you don't practice. After you listen to this episode, go to the Patagonia YouTube channel and check out the full-length film, Stone Locals. This film is brought to you by Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. This podcast is sponsored by Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Deuter has a history of first ascents and alpine routes. Their head of product development even climbed Everest once in jeans. Hashtag not fake news. Deuter is known for fit, comfort, and ventilation. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in good fitting backpacks, so you can focus on way cooler things like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting Sendy, whether at the crag or in the Alpine. We're working with BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate, Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive one free week. It helps support the show and it helps support you. This podcast gets support from Gnarly Nutrition, one of the leading protein supplements that tastes way better than they need to because they use quality natural ingredients. So whether you're a working mom who runs circles around your kids on weekends or an unprofessional climber trying to send that 513 in the gym, Gnarly Nutrition has all of your recovery needs. The only question you need to ask yourself is, are you a sucker for anything that tastes like chocolate ice cream? Yeah, me neither. Gnarly Nutrition is designed to enhance your progress. And tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. Today we're going to talk about Ali. Ali means come on in a way or to encourage. Okay, we are done with the simple and normal uses of Ali. Now let's cut to the chase. LA Outdoor Personal Care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Their rich and repairing ingredients for their skincare collection are inspired by desert landscapes, and their simple and recyclable packaging makes them eco-sustainable. LA commits to protecting the open spaces that we love by partnering with the Access Fund and 1% for the Planet. That's LA Outdoor, A-L-L-E-Z. LA Outdoor, made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. This podcast gets support from Appalachian Gear Company, whose alpaca fleece hoodie won the 2019 Backpackers Editor's Choice Award. We've never actually won an award, but this one seems legit. 
The alpaca hoodie offers unmatched breathability, and you can wear it for days in comfort under a pack or harness, thanks to its durability and design. This lightweight, eco-friendly fabric is the sustainable performance piece that you didn't even know you were missing. You can take 10% off your order by using discount code for the love of climbing. Appalachian Gear Company stands by responsibly sourced alpaca fiber and this podcast. When we put a call out for audio submissions for body positivity from the male perspective, I got the question from several women. What about us? Don't you want to hear from women too? And I wanted to take the time to address this. The intention of this episode was not to exclude women from the conversation, but to make the topic of self-love and body confidence more inclusive by inviting men to the table. We've covered eating disorders on this podcast three times now, and of those three, two of them were women. After each episode, there was a lot of feedback from women too. And I asked myself, where are the men? Body positivity isn't about fat versus skinny, despite barrages of criticism from armchair philosophers who believe that this movement has further fueled an obesity epidemic. The body positivity movement is about feeling comfortable in the skin that you're in now, at this very moment. Women are shattering stereotypes by opening up about their relationships with food, showing off stretch marks, and embracing cellulite. And it's not just a women's issue, but where do the men stand in this movement? I feel really lucky that men like Drew are willing to create a space for this topic, and I wanted to create a safe space for men to speak freely about male body concept too. Body issues are a human issue, no doubt, but asking women to open a space for men to also talk about their struggles has to be a part of these conversations if we want to see real progress. Lack of conversation about male body inclusivity stems from a stigma where men learn from childhood that emotion and vulnerability equate to weakness. But the more we invite men to the table to have conversations about self-love and male body concept, the more the foundation of toxic masculinity will crumble and allow men to acknowledge their self-worth. This movement is for everybody and you can come as you are. Thanks to Peter Darmy for his help mixing this episode and thanks to all of our contributors. Stick around to the end of the episode to hear what they had to say. Here is episode 21. So my name is Drew Halsey. I've probably been climbing for almost a year. Next month will be my one year, which is exciting. I used to be a social worker. I did mental health for about seven years, and then I got out of that game because I got burned out, and now I just sit at a computer all day, and I get to go climb on the weekends. It feels good not to have that pressure of, you like, want to save the world mentality like I used to have. Do you feel like you have been able to create impact in other ways than outside of work? Like, is that something you still feel pretty strong Yeah, um, like I volunteer with adaptive climbing, so I get to flex those muscles a little bit, the volunteer side of me. I think I did my work, but I don't know. Who knows? I might go back to it eventually, but for now, I feel great where I'm at in life.
A study conducted in 2006 by Darcy Clay Siebert concluded that social workers specifically experience a burnout rate of 39% and an overall lifetime rate of 75. In 1975, the term burnout was officially coined by psychologist Freudenberger to describe what happens when a practitioner reaches a stage of inoperative. Burnout can happen to anybody. It occurs cross-culturally and throughout a variety of occupations, but in professions that are considered one-way relationships, compassion fatigue is often the cause. Chronic use of empathy is kind of the name of the game in things like social work, wilderness therapy, caregiving, and advocacy. Constantly giving can come with fulfillment, but ultimately in its truest sense, it can be kind of lonely. Given the expense of recruiting and training experts in this field, this work can be demanding and incredibly complex because of its difficult nature. So if this is you, don't forget to advocate for yourself. You might hold a PhD in clinical social work, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you were taught to practice self-care. We also want to take a minute to acknowledge that being able to climb is a privilege. It's really easy to brush the fact off, and a lot of us have heard this over and over again, especially within these last few months, but it doesn't make it any less true. Consider this, that there are actually a lot of different privileges that sit within this, whether it's accessibility from a financial perspective or just having the time and capacity. Privilege can look like a lot of things, and there are always going to be a lot of nuances within that. We all want to situate ourselves within our own underdog narrative. We all want to be, in a sense, self-made. A lot of you did train really hard for climbing, or you worked to build up your gear stash. Some of you may have just bootied free gear from bailed routes after a rainstorm. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know who needed to hear this today, but... Even though systemic advantages do exist, they don't make you a bad person. They don't invalidate your struggles or make you seem less hardworking. This PSA is meant to remind you that privilege has nothing to do with individual morality and that work ethic and privilege aren't mutually exclusive at all. Okay, hear me out. Worst case scenario is you acknowledge the P word and become a more thoughtful and compassionate person in a better position to understand those who don't live your life. Just saying. Because when I was in it, it was rough. And I probably wouldn't have gotten to climbing if I would have kept going in the mental health field because so much was dependent on your time. And you just want to rest when you got home. But now I'm like, oh, I want to go do stuff after work. Because I feel like climbing is going to be like probably the rest of my life. It's like the path I'm on. I finally found it. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. This is not a climbing podcast. Well, sort of. This is a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability and talking openly about our pain. This podcast is sponsored by Dirt Bike Climbers. Here's the show. Drew and I met in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He and his wife, Sarah, live in Nashville with their dog, Audrey, and they both climb at the Crag, an indoor climbing facility. Previously, Drew was a social worker at a psych hospital where he worked with children and adolescents. 
This was his last mental health job before our interview, when he left in 2018. He switched it up after his burnout and got a corporate office job, but currently he's back in social services as a criminal justice case manager. Some other things happened between 2018 and now. He also saw Free Solo for the first time. And that was in October. And then, like, it was probably three months later, four months later, like, I saw Free Solo. It, like, opened my eyes a little bit to the whole world of climbing. Like, I didn't know what I was looking at. I was like, why are they doing that? Like, this is cool. They get to go outside and they get to do this thing. And um, I just wanted to see the movie because I've heard it was good, you know? I didn't really think about the climbing aspect of it. But as I was watching, I was like, I wonder if I could do that. And I felt a little, like, because of my size or whatever, like, I didn't know. How would you feel the most comfortable describing your physical appearance, specifically your weight? For some people, this is a really hard question. Anywhere from petite to large would be an okay average answer. But then comes the debate over the term plus size, which isn't new. And in an era of body positivity, it's become increasingly less PC. And what you can't see, because this is a podcast and we only exist inside your ears, is that Drew is a self-described husky climber. In current COVID times, Drew weighs 290 pounds. And let's be honest, we don't often see a lot of husky climbers at the gym, and that's because weight can be a barrier to entry. And I was really nervous about it, but I kept thinking of it like, oh, this might be like the thing, like this might be something cool. And I was like nervous about it. I was like Googling, like, am I too big to climb, you know? And uh, I just went to the gym and I was so nervous. Like I, I sat in the parking lot before I went in, but I went in and I asked, I was like, so like, can big people climb? Will that work? Like, how's that work? And the girl at the counter was just like, yeah. Sure, yeah, it'll be fine. I was kind of psyched. I was like, that was confirmation. I was like, yes, I found something maybe. I know that it's going to be hard, but I was so psyched on it. And then I went and got like a Groupon or something for like three climbs or something. Like, I'll just see what happens. It might be just fun. I started in February, cut to November. I'm leading out in the red, like leading my own routes, clipping in. That progression was like, I got so hooked. And now I'm just on that path. I'm like, it feels good. And it feels good to being a bigger guy, being able to do it and being able to show that everyone can try it at least. I was 310 and now I'm in the 280 range. That's another thing with like body types is they don't look strong, you know? But we're actually probably a lot stronger than a lot of <laughs> climbers at the gym because I'm pulling 280 up the wall. That's legit. I'm triple digits on a good day. But I will counter-argue height and a negative ape index. Go ahead, fight me. A thousand yeah. percent. Yeah. yeah I, always, I always feel like I'm cheating. I'm like, people are like, you're so strong. And I'm like, am I? Because I'm not float. lifting that much. You kind of just float. That's what I say at the gym. Like, oh, they just get to float up the wall. I'm like, actually like, struggling. Yeah, absolutely. But I just love that I'm able to do it. Because I've also never been one to like see my size and like see a sport and be like, I can't do that sport. I've always hopped in on stuff. Like I used to skateboard a lot. Um, so this is really the first time I'm really fully in a sport. 
But like hanging out with friends and stuff, I never let my size get in the way. I would try stuff that they would try. So it's always been in my mentality to do that. It's like, at least try and see what happens. Connecting with a community of like-minded people adds a whole different dimension to life, no matter what your thing is. Maybe your thing is brownies. It's that one key ingredient in your favorite recipe. Maybe it's ancho chili powder or sour cream. It could be avocado. And oh my God, is anybody else starving right now? Be right back. Does anybody else keep like emergency cookies or peanut butter packets on them at all times? I just feel like that's a thing that should happen more often. Also, sorry for the brief interruption, but nobody wants to listen to a hangry podcast host. You will be subject to long, tireless rants where I talk at you for no less than 20 minutes, as confirmed by my boyfriend, who should really know better by now and start keeping a stash of emergency cookies around. I hope that he is listening to this because I like chocolate chip. Anyway, communities. They inspire us, they support us, and they bring us together. The importance of having one for both the good and the bad times can't be emphasized enough. And the importance of representation within these communities is equally crucial in order to accurately reflect diversity. If we only see one image or idea of a certain group of people in the media, then we continuously extend those images and ideas because that's the only one we have. It's powerful for people from backgrounds other than cis white to be represented in mainstream media because it says that everybody has a place in this world. The whole point of having more representation within climbing and the greater outdoor arena is so that everyone can feel like they belong because the truth is the pie is big enough for all of us. So when I first started, like I looked around the gym, nobody looked like me and that was weird. I was also nervous, too, because, like, I don't want to be seen as, like, weak or I don't want to be seen as, like, oh, he'll just be forever doing V-Zero or, like, it was all in my head, like, how I would be seen at the gym. And that's all body image issues and self-esteem. But I was pretty well accepted at my gym because we have a good community, though. And I've always wondered if I didn't have that community at my gym, how it would be. Like, I started putting myself on social media, like, with my climbing page and stuff. Which is how we met. Which is how I met, yeah, Kathy. And it's just so fun to post that stuff because people don't see, like, average-looking people climb. It kind of comes in waves, too, at the gym. Like, I'll see people staring at me, and that's weird, you know? Especially if I'm leading. Oh, what's that dude doing leading in a gym, you know? I've only gotten a couple, like, hate stuff online. Ah, the internet. A network of networks, and more famously referred to as a virtual flaming dumpster fire where things like hope and friendships often go to die. I ended up getting more like upvotes than like Alex Honnold's free solo attempt. I'm like third all time on that Reddit. So I got a couple hate comments. It's like, oh, you're gonna break the rock off the wall. You know, you're gonna break the holds. Um, People told me it was unsafe for me to climb because of my size. There's a weird phenomenon that usually only happens in one of two situations, when you're really drunk or sitting behind a keyboard. Yeah, the internet has this funny way of bringing out the worst in people. 
there's something about it that warps her perception of one another. And like a sparkling vodka lavender lemonade cocktail, it quickly lowers our inhibitions, and then we say, ugh. It's not always so much that people are already thinking these things, but dumb and often offensive things are said on the internet simply for the reason that they can be. And it won't matter because there's little to no negative social consequence. But the hidden cost of online free speech is that sometimes we forget we're communicating with humans, you know, on the other side of the screen. But those cut deep, and that's their purpose. That's why they can say it behind a keyboard. It's so easy it's to so be brave stupid. when you don't have, yeah, when there's no repercussion. So know? when you throw yourself out there and be vulnerable, it's tough because they'll throw it right back in your face. I haven't got a lot of it, thank God, but my climbing social media is pretty positive. Like, I don't get a lot of hate on there. It was only whenever posted on Reddit. That's because Reddit is actually the worst place <laughs> Yeah, it's literally full of just a bunch of, like, sad people or something, like, you know. Forums like Reddit can be one thing, but then you have things like gym culture and learning how to navigate spaces like outdoor climbing as a new climber. At the gym, I was like, a little nervous. I've gotten looks. It's okay. But like, cut to like going to the Red, Red River Gorge. Like, I was accepted so much. It like makes me emotional a little bit. But I, they were like so psyched that I was even doing like a 5'3 or 5'4. And it felt so good just to be out there. Nobody looked like me at Miguel's. They're all awesome and fit and doing their own thing, but it was so awesome just being in that environment. And it made me, true. I truly felt like a climber. I feel like I have imposter syndrome or something. Like I'm like, I'm in it, but I'm like, am I accepting in it? I don't know. But really out there, I was like accepted by some really awesome people who were psyched that I was just out there. Just showing up. Yeah, just showing up. And that felt so good. Nick Zazon, founder of the Normalized Normal Bodies movement on social media, opened up a space to specifically give women with normal body types a voice. Not only are none of us shaped the same, we all live in so many different body types throughout our lives. Normal sized will forever mean something different to everybody. And Nick's goal was to promote the idea that all bodies are normal bodies. Now, let's get crazy for a minute and take this idea and apply it to the men in your life. I know, right? It can take a lot to normalize our own bodies, whether we identify as male or female, because we are our own biggest critics. Drew realized the power of showing up and that more representation makes things like climbing more accessible for everyone, regardless of what size harness you wear. And he sees climbing as a great equalizer because of the mental health benefits it has to offer. The body positivity movement has done wonders for a lot of people and like awareness of like, there's normal people out there. <laughs> um, I really love that you refer to it as like, this is like the normal body type. Yeah. Um, because I think for so long that narrative has said, yeah, the guy with the six pack or the yeah. eight pack, that was the normal. But truthfully, like that's kind of incredible, right? Because we're so set in that narrative still. So you were normalizing yeah. like what like the average yeah. body type actually is. And so are there other ways that you think we can kind of normalize that? I don't see a lot of climbing media that's kind of embraced the body positivity movement. They're the reason I didn't find climbing, because I saw a bunch of fit guys doing it, mm -hmm. a bunch of people that didn't look like me, you know? Outdoor companies don't really advertise, like, 
normal people. You're just gonna see like the pros climbing or pulling a V10 or something, but best way to do that is just have like a normal person do it. If I would've saw that, I'd been like, whoa, like I could be doing that. But I think social media has kind of opened the way to do this. That's why I post this to show my normal self. And you're like, oh, I climbed this thing that nature put here, <laughs> you know? Like, it feels mentally, like, stable to climb and hike outside. Like, it's just a place to be. Um, it's helped me so much. Helped my anxiety. Helped, er like, every aspect, you know? But yeah, growing up, like I said, never felt like I was uh, limited. That's why I would, like, go down ramps and go to the skate park and, like, try this stuff with my friends. And the first time I ever felt limited was like, I got kicked off of a roller coaster when I was like 15 or so. And that's when I realized my size might dictate like what I can do in life. And um, this is crazy, but I still have like recurring dreams where I'm at a theme park. Like that's how it cuts so deep, you know? And like my body image, that's when it kind of changed for me. Like I might be limited in what I can do. Well-meaning people will argue that the body positivity movement normalizes obesity, but it's important to clarify that weight and health don't always go hand in hand, meaning you can weigh less than 100 pounds and still eat like a trash bag and be unhealthy. Celebrating bodies regardless of their shape and size is not about promoting obesity. Self-love and body confidence is about giving people a choice with how they choose to view their bodies, and it's long overdue for this space to be more inclusive of men. From a young age, most men are taught that boys don't cry and that showing emotion is considered weak. Today, that would fall under a category we now like to call toxic masculinity. The difficult truth about being a man is that there's an immense pressure in living up to what society considers to be manly, which can result in things like anxiety, depression, eating disorders such as muscle dysmorphia or anorexia, and more. In a world so incredibly and uniquely diverse, representation of all body types is necessary. It shapes the very lives of anybody peering on, thinking to themselves, hey, I wonder if I could do that too. Drew uses his social media to show people what's possible, despite what our preconceived idea of what a climber is supposed to look like. Some of us are toned with reasonably well-defined muscles, and some of us have belly rolls and cellulite. Some of us may even have both. There is no standard that makes you more or less of a climber. I think men are scared to fail because we're kind of seen as the person to do the work. That's just always what society's told us to do. They're scared to admit and they're scared to be vulnerable. I'm just trying to throw myself out there and be, be like a little vulnerable. And if I didn't walk into the gym, if I didn't step out of my comfort zone, you know, and been like, am I too big for this? I wouldn't be like climbing right now, you know? And if you're feeling bad about your size or whatever, it, it's gonna come because it's what society tells us what we should look like. It's totally different than what we are, you know? I know that's so hard to just say try. Your brain tells you, no, nope, no, because fear. And you don't want to fail. No one wants to fail. But I mean, showing up is half the battle. Walking into the gym and being like, can I climb this wall? This is something that I struggle with, and I think a lot of people will relate to. How do you not place your value 
on your weight. How do you personally tackle that and break that down? Because I know I'm in this body. This is what I got. I'm just going to be myself. You got to love yourself for what you are, which is like a human on this earth, and what you can offer to the world. You got to find your niche. You know, right now, my niche is throwing myself out there, trying to change things up. I just want to be vulnerable and show myself, show whoever that they can do this thing. How do you think climbing media affects your perception of your physical image? Well, I don't necessarily see myself represented in climbing media, not just my overall size and stature, 6'3", 195, but I, there aren't many brown people, I feel like. More and more, you're starting to see it within some outdoor companies, mostly on Instagram and that type of social media outlet where images can be shared pretty quickly. But personally, I don't see myself in the climbing media. It just seems empty or lacking. What do you love and appreciate about your body? I struggle with this because I, in my mid-30s and in high school, I used to weigh 295. Those thoughts, those feelings, the folks in high school teasing me, it still kind of lingers. So I don't necessarily love my body. I appreciate my body in that it now allows me to pursue these outdoor activities that I love, rock climbing, surfing, and that I can go explore those experiences with other people and bring them along into those communities. But I, I, I still struggle with my body. Look, my friends probably don't even know that I struggle with it, but I do. So while I have lost 100 pounds, which I should acknowledge more often, it's still kind of in the back of my mind. The outdoors, climbing, surfing really saved my life, and I kind of want that to allow others to have that same opportunity. But I'm not going to be sending projects shirtless at the buttermilks. On the day-to-day, -day, it's not so much how my body looks, but it's how it feels, like how my body feels in my clothing and how it feels when I'm doing activities that do bring me happiness. That's where I feel the most self-conscious about it. I've definitely operated under a deficit mindset, and I realize I've done that for far too long. You know, I've definitely gone to places where I feel like I'm not tall enough, I'm not strong enough. I don't feel strong enough to get to that next hold, or not thin enough to, or not in shape enough. And that definitely leads me back into a spiral of, you know, maybe I'm just not enough for this. I'm self-conscious about my body because I'm short. I'm five foot five, and I mean, obviously there are men shorter than me, but I look at like basketball players or football players or something, or even like most Hollywood actors, or even just like dudes like walking around downtown. They're like six foot tall and weigh like 200 pounds. And I'm like, are we even the same species? Like I often feel like I'm a child, like I'm not an actual man because I'm just like, I'm like, dude, they could like pick me up and toss me. Like I, I have been picked up in a hall bag. Like I, I sat in the hall bag and my friend picked me up and put me on his back and walked me around. So, you know, um, I guess that makes me self-conscious, although I'm 36 years old and I think I'm kind of over it. It's like, I am what I am. I guess I'm an adult, even though I'm short. <laughs> I don't know. How does climbing media affect your perception of your physical self? No matter how much I believe climbing is for everyone, all shapes and sizes, when all you see is thin young people, you can't help but to feel that that's what you need to be to get better. I'm self-conscious about my body because I'm overweight and I have stretch marks. I feel there's a stigma of failure associated with both those things. 
what do I love about my body? Uh, I love my hair. I think it's great. Uh, I like my stomach, even though it's a bit squishier than it used to be. I've come to peace with that. I'm a pretty big fan still. Um, I'm self-conscious about my body because ever since I got into climbing, like one of the first things I notice is I'm a little bit older, especially for just starting getting into it. I also weigh a little bit more than some of the others due to an accident I was in a long time ago that made me sedentary for a long time. And uh, I find myself kind of dwelling on, well, maybe I do need to lose weight in order to climb hard. The climbing media affects my perception of my physical self just because, I mean, everyone I see in these catalogs, magazines, things like that, you're looking at like 6 to 10, maybe 11% body fat, like they're completely trimmed down. And, you know, the photographers make sure those shots look extra good where the muscles are popping and things like that. And then uh, my squishy self hops up on the wall and I'm like, all right, let's get to work. There are days where like you just look at it and it just kills your whole vibe to climb. Just, uh, I don't want to deal with it. Um, Definitely, definitely is an issue. What do I love and appreciate my body? The simple answer is practically nothing. I do think that I have nice forearms, maybe from all the years of climbing, and they're the one part of me that doesn't look fat. What are you self-conscious about regarding your body? And the simple answer is practically everything. Too pale, too hairy, not enough muscle, too much fat, Abs look and feel like a bowling ball lost in a bag of cottage cheese. Going bald, legs are too short, torso's too long. Everything is just wrong. And what I see at the crag is always a guy who is thinner than me climbing harder than I do. It's almost always that the guy who looks like the strong climber is the strong climber. And to put it simply, you don't see really big guys sending that hard. You might see some overweight boulderers, but you don't see fat boys climbing 514 up big overhangs. It, it just doesn't make sense. So even without the media, I would still be surrounded by actual climbers that I see on a day-to-day -day basis who climb harder than me and have the look. They got the abs, the shoulders, the six pack, everything. Okay, last thing I'll add about being short. I've had like so many female friends say directly in my presence, oh, I would never date a guy shorter than me. And that's cool. I mean, to each their own, you know, totally fine. But when you're saying that like in front of a short person, it's like, you know, like imagine if someone was Jewish and you were like, oh, I would never date a Jew, like in their presence. You know, it's just kind of fucked up. I mean, I'm fine. Like I'm not damaged from it. My girlfriend's taller than me, but um, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. And I will say this kind of is like a non sequitur. It's somehow totally acceptable in our culture to put people down or to use the size of someone's penis as a put down. How many times have you heard someone say, oh, so-and-so must be overcompensating for something because they're driving a Corvette or whatever, or like a big monster truck. And it's like, sorry about your tiny penis. Like I've heard so many people say that. And I don't think I have a tiny penis. Pretty sure it's pretty average, um, but you never know. It's not like I go around like, dropping my drawers and looking at other people's penises, you know? I think most guys, like, wonder where they are on the spectrum, but it's not like, I don't know, maybe maybe you can just Google it, but I don't do that, and I don't think most people do. What do you love about your physical body? It's strong and capable of accomplishing things that I'm not even sure are possible. 
I'm constantly impressed by what it's able to do. So, uh, things I love about my body, first and foremost, is I view my body as being very resilient. At the age of 11, I suffered an injury playing basketball, and I actually had to have my femurs pinned back in place. I was in a wheelchair, and for a long time, you know, it scared me to think that I might not be able to participate in a lot of things that brought me joy. But, you know, I realized that one of my strongest muscles is actually my brain and, you know, the ability for my mind to recover from this and you know, will myself to come back and take on the challenges that I wanted to. Hi, Kathy. It is Saturday, August 29th. I'm sitting in a parking lot of our local dispensary, uh, waiting for my number <laughs> to be called out. Oh boy, it's been so long since we talked to you. Um, we watched Stone Locals last night. It's so awesome to see you branch out and make these connections with other people. And, you know, you had some really vulnerable moments in that doc and I felt some real connection to that moment in your life. And, you know, on the topic of things being cathartic and whatnot, there's a need to have these conversations. And I've been going to see my own personal therapist for some time, but I thought, you know, if I'm talking to a therapist, why not give this a shot too? I have always sort of had some feelings of body dysmorphia. I wouldn't say like I'm the most healthy person. I could definitely be healthier because I do rely on my body's ability to just kind of take these things in stride, you know? But I am envious of some other people, whether they're male or female, to be honest. Um, I've seen women and men that I envy physically <laughs> because I want to be stronger and I see them climbing the grade that I want to climb and they look a certain way and all of that permeates into you subconsciously you know we're in a sport where body image is at the forefront sharma was the big name when i first started diving into it and he's literally this like chiseled out of marble god adam andra is another one you know like these guys look a certain way and they climb a certain way and you end up emulating that a little bit still part of me when I go to the beach. It's in my head when people make comments about me. Oddly enough, climbing was the thing that started to break that down for me because I was able to see men and women look a certain way and look strong. You know, strong climbers look like normal people. It's just archetype in our culture that tells us to look a certain way. And I think that we all are looking for support in the chances that it does come up that it becomes just a normal conversation. Like you would talk about, you know, the local donut shops, donut being out of this world. By the way, you didn't talk about donuts in the documentary, which I found kind of funny. So what can the community do better to support men and encourage them to be more open and feel comfortable with their physical appearance? Oof. Well, I think this podcast is important just to have these conversations. And I think when these stories are shared, more and more people can see themselves or hear themselves being heard and can empathize. Personally, I think this work is internal. It wasn't a community that supported me in losing 100 pounds. It was, it was me. I had a mentor who kind of showed me opportunities. But at the end of the day, it was me making those decisions. 
for things that we could do to better support men. I'm brought back to the issue of representation, and I recognize, you know, in so many different facets of life, representation absolutely matters. The representation of varying body types, and that includes varying abilities too. You know, people who are able-bodied are the ones who often get featured in climbing media, and that doesn't represent the whole population of climbers. And then same with body types too, you know, like climbers come in all different shapes and sizes, and that's just something we don't see right now. I feel like there's this message too that I see a lot out there is that this is operating on the assumption that because I'm not thin enough, I can't climb at the level that I want to. So I think recognizing that different shapes and sizes of bodies can accomplish just as much. Aside from you know the messaging and representation, I think one of the biggest things for me that would make me feel more comfortable is pushing of initiatives of different organizations that are out there pushing for change. And you know, one in particular that pushes hard for body inclusivity and you know what we see in representation is all in beta their big thing is like changing the algorithm and trying to find different ways of representation of what climbing looks like and of what climbers look like too yeah you know when i saw your post about wanting guys to respond about body image and climbing media i thought huh, good luck you're not going to get much response it never occurred to me guys have much the same body image issues as women you certainly never guess it based on the way most of us dress. Everyone I hung out and climbed with looked pretty much the same, so I just took our bodies for granted. We were the guys with the broad shoulders and the six-packs and the rippling back muscles and chiseled features who the cute girls would flirt with. So it was a shock to learn that I'm on the other side of a divide and that I had a huge blind spot in my awareness. Uh, let me say at the outset that even when I was climbing hard, I was no more than on the lowest rung of the, quote, better climbers. And by today's standards, I wouldn't even be on the ladder. But hearing some of the poignant and insightful stories from some of my rope brothers gave me this sharp pang of painful awareness about my failure as a person to not see some of the suffering that was right in front of me. I don't know if I'd ever been one of those assholes who'd hurt someone, you know, not through malice or intention, but just simple lack of empathy. God, I, I hope not. And I cringe thinking that I probably was. So all I can do going forward is to try to be more aware, not miss an opportunity to keep my pie hole shut. <sighs> and to any of my brothers whom I've trusted my life to on the other end of a rope if I've hurt any of you. All I can say is I'm so sorry. I love you all. I've always understood body image stuff as a women's issue, or at least until recently. And I slowly started to learn from some of the women in my life about eating disorders, difficult decisions on how to present your body publicly, and owning your body and feeling proud of it even when it doesn't conform to our ideals. It was only once I was an adult though that I realized that I was working through these same issues myself. I've tried to pay attention to this and I've learned that my relationship to my body is really ambivalent. Uh, some days when I'm feeling strong, fit, attractive, I love my body and I appreciate it as the thing that defines my identity in a lot of ways and allows me to do the things that I love in life, you know, mostly climbing and playing outside. But in spite of that, there has always been discontent that just comes up, unfortunately, with some regularity. 
Uh, I remember as early as high school feeling too skinny, thinking I needed to put on muscle to feel masculine. I heard this from a lot of my friends too. Despite my body and my privilege to enjoy all my favorite activities in life, I still pretty regularly find ways to be unhappy with my body and I've only really begun to take that apart. When I am feeling confident and when I feel seen as a sexual being in the world, it's mostly the people whom I'm attracted to whose attention I find enjoyable and validating. I have felt put in an awkward situation by unwanted sexual attention before, but I don't, you know, generally really ever feel unsafe. Only recently did I begin to realize the privilege and only being made to feel awkward, rarely even very uncomfortable, by sexual attention. And I realized what a different reality one would experience if their body were always the object of others' sexual attention. And that's attention that often turns violent. I don't think men do nearly enough to try and understand how gender and physical ability affect people's life experience, myself included. In climbing, I'm just beginning, really, to realize how much experience sits behind each person's presence at the crag, you know, what they may or may not be overcoming just to be in that place that they love. Vocalizing love, encouragement, and modeling honest vulnerability in so many realms of our lives, including climbing and body positivity, are really hard and uncomfortable tasks that men need to begin or hopefully continue to work on. Got a little longer than I thought it would. I appreciate you taking it there, and I'd obviously love to talk more about it. Thank you just for your work. I think a lot of men need to work with other men. I think killing the idea of this toxic masculinity that you can only be shirtless if you've got an eight pack and pop and pecs and the whole nine yards. Like we need to celebrate our bodies as individuals uh, in any way, shape or form that it shows up. Like have a healthy relationship with your body, have a healthy relationship with food and celebrate one another. Don't, you know, only celebrate the guy who's swole and ripped and all that stuff. Like chubby guys get that love too. Like I'm all about supporting everybody's body type. We can all do it. Let's get to work. Even though I still have no idea what I'm doing, things are happening. And if you'd like to help out and support this podcast, please check out patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where you can sponsor us for as little as $1 per episode. It really helps keep this podcast going, and I'm so grateful for all of your help. Special shout out to Cameron McAlpine because he makes this thing sound good. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. And a big thank you to Gnarly Nutrition for supporting this podcast and the messages that we share. Gnarly Nutrition supports a community of vulnerability and equality and tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. A big shout out to LA Outdoor for supporting the Access Fund and 1% for the planet. LA Outdoor personal care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. And thanks to Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes or give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet. Until next time. 